As I prepared for today's message, I initially I didn't really have a topic or didn't have a verse that really stuck in my head that, um, that I wanted to talk about. And as I spent time in prayer and asked God to reveal what he would have me speak about today, I was, um, I was just uh, surprised by some of the interesting things that occurred as a result of that. One day I was talking to my wife Elizabeth about the, the lack of any insight or any real revelation as I, as I worked to prepare. And uh, her question back to me was, so what's God been doing in your life this year? How has he been working? I go, okay. I continued to ponder that and continued to pray. And as I continued to pray, the thought came to me how often God works through other people. And what came to my mind was my wife telling me on numerous occasions that I needed to slow down. I needed to relax. That uh, I needed to stop being so busy all the time. I'm one of those people that I like to keep myself occupied and uh, keep myself uh, busy with accomplishing things. And so even when it comes to vacations, and some of you know if we've got a house up in, in Michigan that we go back to multiple times during the course of the summer. And for me, a vacation is to just beat myself up silly with a whole list of things to do, get these things accomplished, and then collapse in bed at the end of the day and go, yes. So that's my idea of a vacation. So as I thought about these things, I continued to pray for God's revelation. The next thing that occurred is I purchased the last uh, CD by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And it's a bluegrass uh, set of songs uh, with his, uh, you know, the songs that he wrote. And on one of the songs, it's a duet with his son. And the title of the song is Be Still and Know. And the song really resonated with me. I guess you could say it struck a chord, no pun intended. <laughs> but... So I continued to pray, continued to pray. And then one day I was making my way from my truck that sits in the driveway, going through the garage into the entry door into the house, which goes into our laundry room. And as I walked in the door, there on the wall is this sign. It's a sign that I put up. It's a sign that's been there for two years. And I happened to look at that sign and it says, be still and know. Psalm 46.10. I go, okay, I'll take note of that. Filed that away. And then on another day, I was reading my Bible, and I just happened to be, again, happened to be in Mark 4, where Jesus calmed the storm, where he commanded, be peace, be still. And I go, all right, I'm starting to see a trend here. Finally, and this was a couple of weeks ago, and this was the icing on the cake. I was here at church, and I was using the men's restroom, washing my hands. And men, you can attest to this, that there on the countertop, in the corner, is this rock, plaque-type thing. And on that rock is the verse, be still and know that I am God. And I'm thinking, okay, so I guess I'm a slow learner, but I can take the hint, okay? <laughs> so with that, in light of all these things, uh, I got to, it got me looking not only at this verse, but the entirety of Psalm 46. 
And so that's what uh, I'd like to be us for us to be looking at this morning. And at this time, I encourage you, if you're able to stand, that uh, we'll read this scripture together. And if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back of the room on the cart. If you would, follow along with me in Psalm 46. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. God is our fortress. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you, we thank you for your word, and Lord, as we look into this, we pray that you would open our hearts, Father, and that your spirit would work in each of our lives, and that we would take away what your spirit would have us here today, Lord, and that um, through this time, Father, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Before we begin, I thought I would get into a little bit of the history of this psalm so that we have a little bit of context. Actually, we're unsure who the author is. Some believe it was David. Others believe it was the sons of Korah. And still others, Isaiah. And that's basically due to the words that were used in the style of writing that is consistent with Isaiah's writings. And if, in fact, it was Isaiah, then this most likely was written during Hezekiah's reign as king of Israel. And also would be at the same time when Sennacherib was the Assyrian king and was waging war against other nations and was preparing for war with Israel and the conquest of Jerusalem. The psalm has also been known in church circles as Luther's psalm. It's a psalm he would sing out loud whenever he was facing trials. And and it is uh, credited as his inspiration for the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it's also grouped among those which are considered the songs of Zion or songs of triumph, a proclamation of God's universal reign. Before the psalm itself begins, it's interesting, there's some directions for for how it is to be sung and by whom. 
to the choir master or the chief musician, depending on your version. So this is for the most skillful musician and singer in Israel, not for the common singer, the common person. person. So this is a very special singer. And then four, or of the sons of Korah. One person alone cannot do this psalm justice. There must be a select group to celebrate the singing of it. According to Alamoth, so Alamoth, it doesn't have a clear definition. We're not sure exactly the, the definition of this, but it appears to be a musical term denoting a high pitch for soprano or treble voices, a song to be sung with female voices at a higher range. And so as we take a holistic approach or look at this psalm itself, it's to be sung by the best lead singer in the land, supported by the best backup singers and choir in praise and recognition of God's sufficiency and for who he is. Many of the other psalms start with a description of the psalmist in crisis. However, this psalm begins with God's protection and his provision. It's divided into three sections, or three parts, each which ends with Selah, where we as the readers are offered the opportunity to actually stop, not pretend to stop, right? In order to stop and think about what God is saying to us through his word. I have three points that I'd like to speak about this morning as we dig deeper into Psalm 46. Three points are God is our protection, God is our provision, and God is our power. You can see those three points in your bulletin as well as I've included several other reference verses there for further study. So with that, let's get into it. God is our protection. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. So what does that mean exactly? So if you work, look at the word refuge in the definition, or in the dictionary, excuse me, it's defined as a condition of being sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. So something or someone that provides shelter. In other words, God is our shield from danger and trouble. He provides us with shelter in the midst of our storms. Despite our underlying circumstances, we can make the decision to put our lives in his hands and find complete security in him. The key here is that he is there, and it's up to you and me, or you and I, to make the decision to look to him. We read in John 16.33, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John tells us in this life we'll have trials. However, it also states that we'll have peace because Jesus overcome the world. He overcame it for our sake. My guess is that each of us here can attest to having trials. But where do we turn? Do we manage in our own strength? Do we depend on our bank account, our status, our stuff? All creatures, when in distress, they run to their refuges. So where do you and I turn? Where do we run? 
There's a quote from the C.S. Lewis book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that sums this up well. So this is where the children are in Narnia, and they've run into Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And the beavers are just uh, astounded that the children aren't aware of the prophecy of Aslan. And Mr. Beaver is speaking. He says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So being a Christian does not give us immunity to troubles and hardships. We aren't safe from the attacks of the enemy, but we have a God who's waiting for us to turn to him. In him we can rest with a peace, knowing that even if our plans don't work out the way we want them to, we can still look to God for complete security and hope. Finally, if you look at the rest of that, uh, that verse, you look at the possessive use of the word our. It doesn't say that God is a refuge or God is the refuge. God is our refuge. He's your refuge. He's my refuge. We can rejoice in this and we can hold fast to this, that he is there for each of us. We can turn in our fear and uncertainty to God who, through his grace, will provide patience, peace, protection, and strength for us to bear up under our burdens. If you look at the second part of the verse, a very present help in trouble. So God is near at all times. Even when we don't feel like he is, feel like he's distant. We look at the words very present. It emphasizes that he's closer than anything we can imagine. Closer than our friends, closer than our relatives, closer than even the trouble itself. He isn't here today and gone tomorrow. He never withdraws himself from us. He's our constant help. And his assistant comes, assistance comes at the right time according to his plan. And his word tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Moving along, if we look at verses 2 and 3, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. So if God is our refuge, and he is the source of our strength to get through trials and troubles, then we have absolutely nothing or no reason to fear. And because all these things are true, that he is our refuge, he is our strength, and he is very present in times of trouble, that we can stand firm, even if and when the worst things that we can imagine could take place. And if you look at these verses, the writer describes total chaos in the world. The mountains and the earth itself are visible representations of the most stable things that we know. And so when the stable becomes unstable or our lives get turned upside down, we should have no fear. We should take heart because God is greater than all these things and he remains faithful. 
Charles Spurgeon writes in his commentary of these verses, When all things are excited to fury and reveal their utmost power to disturb, faith smiles serenely. She is not afraid of noise, nor even of real force. She knows that the Lord stills the raging of the sea and holds the waves in the hollow of his hand. The Alps and the Andes may tremble, but faith rests on a firmer basis and is not to be moved by swelling seas. Evil may ferment, wrath may boil, and pride may foam, but the brave heart of holy confidence trembles not. Great men who are like mountains may quake for fear in times of great calamity, but the man whose trust is in God needs never be dismayed. So when we feel totally helpless, we feel anxious, we feel worried, and just plain stressed out when our world seems to be falling apart, you and I, we can put our trust in the Lord and the promises of his protection and his word. We can try to work through these trials in our life through our own strength, or we can turn to God who will protect us, provide us strength, and is very near. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3 also provide reassurance of this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The first section of the psalm ends with Selah. Again, meaning to pause, intentionally stop, and take time to think and meditate on these things. God is our protection. Point two, God is our provision. Verses four through seven make up this uh, section of the psalm. Follow along with me beginning in verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. As we look at these verses, starting in verse 4, this physical reference here, is to the city of Jerusalem and the waters of Siloam, which was a small stream that provided water for Jerusalem. And Siloam wasn't, it wasn't a very wide or wasn't a very deep stream, but it provided the city with all the water it needed to survive and defend itself against enemy attacks, including the, the attacks of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. One of the ways that uh, the attacking armies would conquer cities would be to cut off their water supply, and eventually the inhabitants would surrender. Jerusalem is unique in that it is one of the ancient cities that wasn't built on a river. And so Hezekiah built an aqueduct system that provided water that ran throughout the, uh, the city. So they were able to survive. So these are the physical aspects. However, there's also the spiritual aspects of these verses. 
So God's word and his spirit of grace is the stream that he provides to his people to help them to survive anything that comes our way. Whenever problems rage against us, we have an ever-flowing river in his word to sustain us as we walk through the troubles. The question for us is, do we tap into this resource enough to be able to hold up under the siege of things that come our way in life? In Psalm 1 we read, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. God will unfailingly provide for his people. You and I need to drink deeply from the stream of his holy word. And it's only through being nurtured and fed by his word that we'll be fully equipped to endure all things. God also set his tabernacle within the walls of Jerusalem. And the people are to know that he will provide and protect his holy city. For us, as believers, his Holy Spirit lives within each of us. And God's help is sure and near for his people, no matter what takes place. Do we think that this God, the creator and ruler of the universe, who speaks a word and heaven and earth obey, is beyond handling our biggest problems? When we have troubles, We need to focus on his sufficiency. In verse 7, the Hebrew name of God here is Yahweh Sabaoth. This name declares God's reign over heaven and earth and over all the armies, earthly and spiritual. This is the same name that David used in 1 Samuel 17 when confronting Goliath. Next slide, please. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This title emphasizes God's God's glory and his might. This is our God, and he is with us, his people. He is also the God of Jacob. While he is the Lord of hosts and the supreme commander of all the armies, he also is the God of the individual, the God who has a personal or had a personal relationship with Jacob. The same God is the one we worship today. He is with us, and his sovereign grace is available for all of us. Not only is he a strong fortress or our high stronghold, He also desires a personal relationship with each of us. We end this section once again with Selah. Again, taking time to pause, reflect on these things. God is our provision. So not only is God our protection and God is our provision, but he's also our power in point three. Let's read beginning in verse eight. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. 
He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So God acts on behalf of his people, and his power knows no equal. By his power, the enemies of Israel were defeated. And the text here may be referring again to Sennacherib and his failed attack of Jerusalem, where in Isaiah 37, Hezekiah prayed to God for deliverance from the hands of the Assyrian king so that all the nations or kingdoms on earth would know that he is God. God answered Hezekiah's prayer by sending the angel out and he put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. God wanted the people to see the works of his hands and for them and for us to understand that if we put our trust and our faith in Almighty God, nothing or no one can harm us. Prior to verse 10 in this psalm, the psalmist is speaking or narrating. But it's interesting because suddenly, verse 10, God speaks in the first person. Be still and know that I am God. This verse is its often interpreted as uh, being very quiet and more of a meditative state. However, this really isn't the case. It's not a suggestion. This is a command. In the context that this psalm was written during Hezekiah's reign as king, it is a command to the nations to let go, stop the fighting, acknowledge that he is God. You can't win. So take note of what he has done. See the mighty power he has to protect and that everyone and everything will know that he is Elohim, the sovereign creator and ruler over eternity past, present, and future. In this, God is saying, pay attention, people. We find something similar in Mark 4, 39. As the, they were going across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus calmed the, the storm. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? While the disciples were in awe of Jesus that the winds and the seas would obey him, I wonder if part of the message eluded them and it eludes us as well that Jesus commanded, peace, be still. Then asked them, and us, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? How often do we find ourselves in situations where we become fearful, we become anxious, and God is commanding us to peace and to be still, to know that he is God, He's telling us to release the things that tend, us, that tend to tie us up in knots and to let go of our problems and to turn them over to him, for he is faithful. He is all-powerful. 
and he will give us all we need for every situation in life according to his will. The second part of this verse, and know he is God, it isn't just an intellectual exercise, as I know the the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Think about the deep relationships that you have. Best friends, long-time friends, high school friends. These were built over the course of time. And by spending time with one another and getting to know the other person at a deeper level than just superficial. This is how God wants us to know him. By spending time in his word, by listening, by being observant, in recognizing how he is working in our lives. God wants us to exalt him by submitting joyfully to him through our troubles. The chief end of man is not to live a happy, trouble-free life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We glorify him when we turn to him in his power in times of trouble. And he will be exalted. The psalmist reminds us in the final verse that Yahweh Sabaoth is with us. The God who reigns over all the armies of the universe. The God who provides grace and who desires a personal relationship with each of us. He is our protection. He is our provision. He is our power. And we need to pause and think on these things as he commands us to be still and know he is God. He alone is sufficient to meet all our needs and we can rest in faith through the knowledge that he says who he is or he is who he says he is in his word. In an October 4th, uh, 2019 article in the magazine Christianity Today titled Make a Joyful Silence Unto the Lord, author W. W. David O. Taylor wrote about our noisy world and the trouble we have with silence and being still. He writes, next slide. Very good, thank you. Silence, of course, is not merely negative. The absence of speech, the omission of sound, the refusal to act. It is also a positive thing. Silence is an active passivity, which creates space for God to transform us. In other words, the absence of noise is not an emptiness. It's a generative fullness, and in some cases, a terrifying fullness. In silence, we are confronted with God's voice, a voice that we often drown out for fear of being found out or found wanting. In silence, we are judged for our desperate need to fill up our lives with frenzied activity. In silence, we discover that we are not ultimately in control. We are weak and vulnerable and awfully in need of God's grace. When told by their mom that dad was going to be speaking in church on a Sunday... And what the title of my message was, all three of my children laughed. They laughed because they know me well and they know how I'm wired. They know that I like to keep busy. 
that I write lists, that I add things that I've done to the list just to cross them off. And then I say things, well, I like to take time and I like to read, which I do. But for me, it's like another item to cross off on my list. They know my struggles with being still. And after they finished laughing, all three had very different follow-up responses. Nick, my oldest, read through the verses and called with some of his insights into the psalm. My daughter, Allison, she stated, to make sure I made the congregation laugh, make them cry, make them think, and then make them laugh again. And our youngest son, Zach, his comments were, make sure you use any associated passages of Scripture to support your points. And then maybe find a quote or two from a theologian on your topic to throw in, and you'll be in good shape. (laughs) So, I don't know if I was successful in any of these things today, but I do know that God is very present, that he is our shelter and fortress. He desires a personal relationship with each of us. He desires to be our protection, our provision, and our power. It's up to us, as it is commanded, to be still and know he is God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, which speaks truth into our lives. Lord, give us the strength to release our struggles and concerns to you and not try to do life in our own strength. And Lord, may this be the first thing we do rather than turn to you as a last resort. Lord, you are our security and our hope. Help us to deepen our relationship with you. Thank you that you are our refuge and strength and that you are very present in times of trouble. Continue your work in us, Lord, and may we be still and know you are God. Amen. If you would stand with me, I'd like to close today with a benediction from Colossians three, sixteen and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing song, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You are dismissed.